catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. (laughs) 
Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we're here to continue the 25 Years series, uh, a loving look back at Ravens history. Today, one of the real highlights, one of the best games in Ravens history, still one of my fondest memories, the 44-41 comeback win against the Seattle Seahawks in 2003. Here to join me to talk about it is Jamie Sieg from Baltimore, uh, from BSL, uh, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. All right. Jamie, how you doing tonight? Oh, fantastic, Ken. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. Just in case this comes up with any current events, we're talking about this on 11-4-21 here. So it's, it's, uh, if we happen to breach any current Ravens topics, you'll know of when we speak. Uh, but J.B. just picked one of the great games in Ravens history. A lot of people have taken losers. You know, they, they want to rehash the 2006 playoff loss to the Colts. They want to go over this, this horrible, you know, playoff loss to the Patriots and in, in, on the, you know, Evans and Cundiff plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm so happy you picked a, a happy topic. This is going to be a great one as we go up. I'll set up a little bit of the game situation, the season situation, and then I know you have some other topics you want to talk about. But uh, the Ravens came into this game at 5-5. Five and five. Now, they were 5-3. and three. They went to St. Louis uh, in week, I guess it was week 10, but but they'd already had their bye. They lost a game where they had seven turnovers, 33 to 22 to the Rams. They really outplayed them uh, in, they, they produced a lot more offense, but they didn't turn that into scores uh, in, in that game. Actually, I'm not even sure that's really true, but they had seven turnovers anyway, and, and the Rams won despite not a particularly good offensive game. Right, and they, that they were able to stay in the ball game despite mm-hmm. turning the ball over seven times is a testament to, you know, what a solid defensive unit that was that year. And yeah. kind of the story of those, you know, the, even the Super Bowl team, you know, we, we know about the offensive struggles in, in 2000, but that that run until Flacco got here was really uh, all about defensive teams that, that were just kind of dragging the offense with them. And and you just one of the probably the great what ifs is if they could have found any kind of competent quarterback play in yeah. that, you know, in Ray Lewis's prime in the early years of Reed and Suggs, you know, yeah, probably could have had a few more Lombardis. Billick went his entire Ravens coaching career, made the ring of honor, and never had a franchise quarterback. It's really a, a remarkable that any coach could do that, and Billick deserves a lot of credit mm-hmm. for what he did. That Rams loss dropped them to 5-4. and four. Then they played the Miami Dolphins in the next week. And I've got a little personal story to tell about this. We were having a watch party at our house. Game was at Miami, of course. Um, and the game was tied late 6-6. Six to six. And Maureen and I are sitting there and we have a room for watching football, effectively, a number of TVs for watching the the, the games at once at one o'clock. And the uh, the game was tied at six late. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ed Reed had a big pick and we're screaming and jumping up and down. And we realized we were the only two people left at our at our party who were in the same room. The other people were, were off in the next room playing pool and just didn't care enough about that game for, for, for my liking. But, uh, but anyway, that, uh, that Ed Reed uh, interception did not turn into victory, and they lost that game to the Dolphins in overtime. Uh, a pretty horrible loss to drop them to 5-5. Five and five. Yeah, and that was, um, you know, and of course, the big storyline coming out of the Rams game was was Bowler getting injured and uh, being out for the ended up being out for the rest of the season. And of course, Anthony Wright uh, taking over. I think Redmond got the 
the majority of the snaps in the Rams game took over for Bowler, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. And he, and he was terrible. It's one of the worst yeah. relief performances in Ravens history. Completely forgettable. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And not that Bowler had been in any kind of great shakes prior to that, but he there had been some moments, some flashes here and there where you're like, oh, maybe the kid's starting to get it. And then you had that injury. And then you're like, oh, here, here we go again. Because obviously – Looking back now, we know what Kyle Bowler yes. became. But at the time, he we was still a rookie. Had, yeah, hey, up, we had up, you know, up and coming rookie. Yeah, we drafted our go. franchise quarterback. Let's go. <laughs> so you know, so the beginning of the Anthony Wright era in Baltimore started off rather, you know, auspiciously. Let's say, yeah. And one of the big uh, stories coming into that year, of course, was the Ravens hadn't had much in the way of receivers. Uh, Travis Taylor was still there, um, but. They picked up two free agent receivers. You guys, you want to talk about those guys? Yeah, um, they, uh, you know, a couple of veterans went and got uh, Frank Sanders, who had been with uh, with the Cardinals, and then uh, Marcus Robinson, who had actually been a Pro Bowler uh, with the Bears. Uh, you know, a couple of receivers that Brian Billick really liked in his offense, big physical not necessarily speed guys but guys that could go up and make contested catches and you would hope that there was going to be a um, I guess an evolution of this offense because they they drafted who they hope is their franchise quarterback and they were hoping to get away from this you know three yards in a cloud of dust kind of situation that they had been doing <laughs> uh, for the last couple of seasons and of course not only was that exactly what the Ravens offense was although it was probably four and a half yards in a cloud of dust with Jamal right. Lewis during 2003 having his big year yeah, absolutely but but uh, Sanders and Robinson had not done much to this point in fact early in the 2003 season I went to a game Frank Sanders had his third catch of the year was at home and they announced over the loudspeakers, that is the 500th catch of Frank Sanders' career. And I'm like, why are they even bothering? I mean, seriously, none of us were here for the first 497. <laughs> you know, it, it, it really doesn't mean a lot to, to, to Baltimore fans. I know they probably want to say something nice for Frank Sanders, and they've got a milestone that's on their card that they're, they're hitting up. Go ahead and flash it up on the TV screen, but there's no need to bother us with it at the stadium. It's honestly, it's not, it, it, it's not a Ravens moment. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Marcus Robinson hadn't really done anything at all up, to, up until this uh, game against the Seahawks. That, um, and, of course, that was uh, you know, Todd Heap and his, uh, what, third? beginning it was his third season and you know now he was out from behind uh you know gotten out from behind shannon sharp in 2002 and was you know really starting to come into his own and of course that was before when he was still really healthy because you know a couple of years of kyle bowler he he took a little bit of a beating over the middle with uh, uh going up for errant passes and and pulling things down and taking some shots and i think that had Todd Heap had a more accurate quarterback, he may have had a little bit more longevity and not had so much interruption due to injury. I think he his body went through a lot <laughs> simply because you know, he put himself on the line to make a lot of catches that a more competent quarterback probably wouldn't have put him in harm's way as much as Bowler did. Yeah, well, that's that's a fair enough criticism. Almost any criticism of of uh, Bowler is fair, and if you want to hit on t on Tara Reed too for mm. criticism, not actually hit on her, right? That right. would probably be a good idea. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the game itself, of course, was a three-three tie, and a lot of people. This forty-four to forty-one game was tied at three with thirty seconds left in the first half mm. when Hasselbeck threw his first touchdown pass of the game. So he would end up throwing five, no interceptions, still lost the game. But they went up 10 to three. Then they kicked the ball off and the Ravens fumbled immediately on that kickoff. And they got the ball back, another 10-yard touchdown. 
my mind was blown and I can still remember sitting in the stands that day, 18 seconds left. If you're not going to, to try to attack, to try to get yourself in field goal range, then just take a knee. Why are you running uh, an, an off tackle outside handoff with your backup running back at that point when there's a much better chance that something bad's going to happen as opposed to something good. Chester Taylor wasn't going to catch the corner and turn and turn and burn for a 70 yard touchdown. It wasn't going to happen. So why would you do that there? I thought that was a very odd coaching decision that if you're not going to make an effort to try to get three there, to try to push the ball downfield, I don't understand what that play call was at all. Right. So there, you're, you're right. And there's 16 seconds when the play from scrimmage was, okay. mm-hmm. was dropped, was, was knocked over. And you've, you've got Anthony Wright at quarterback. I mean, what do you really believe about that? You're only down seven. You have, you know, you have a defense you trust that's, mm-hmm. that's played very well. Why do you do that? But, uh, but anyway, uh, Seattle got the ball back. There's only eight seconds left in the half immediately. Ten yard touchdown. They're up 17 to three. We go to the second half and, uh, you know, the Ravens got the ball first coming out of the second half. Anthony Wright to Marcus Robinson begins the Marcus Robinson story of the day for the, <laughs> with the 13 yard touchdown. It, it, it was, it, you know, it was something that we kind of hoped we were going to see out of him because he had flashed that in, you know, he had at least one pro bowl season at Chicago. I can't remember if he had two, but you know, again, given his size and, you know, physicality, that ability to high point the ball, which we would see on display the rest of the afternoon. Um, it, it just, it was surprising. And I guess probably a function of our offense really, because if you think about what they, what the team, the way the team was built, the offensive line at the time we had the, the biggest offensive line in the league, other than Ogden, there wasn't much in the way of pass blocking. They, they run blocking was definitely the strong suit of that team. And when you have a guy like Jamal Lewis, who is now a year, a full year removed from the ACL. And he was, you know, out of the gate firing. As we know, he had the 295 game and what game two or game three of that season. Game two. Yeah, game two. And I mean, although he, although Jamal had definitely taken a beating to this point, if you remember, he was wearing shoulder harnesses, I think on both shoulders, as a matter of fact, because of uh, just injuries from all the, uh, all the, the beatings he was taking that year, all the mileage he had already fumbling issues already in that, in that year, just as good as it was. Yeah. The Miami game, as a matter of fact, that the, the overtime game, the week prior, Jamal put the ball on the carpet that led to the game winning field goal for in overtime. Um, So that, so for that team, they were so run centric, control the clock, keep things close, set things up for the defense that even bringing in a wide receiver that had a little bit of a pedigree, it may have been a little bit past his prime in Marcus Robinson, but still could be effective. He wasn't getting a lot of opportunities. You also are bringing along a rookie quarterback. So it's not any big surprise that nothing much had happened to this point. But then, and it was made, um, I don't know if they made a big deal about it during the broadcast, but then after the game in the, the, the week that followed, they were teammates of South Carolina in college. And then that got a lot of run that they had some familiarity, uh, Anthony Wright and Marcus Robinson. So that kind of became a little postscript to this uh, story. Yep. Yep. Uh, Anthony Wright, of course, having a, a child that night after mm-hmm. the game, this was, this was the greatest day of Anthony Wright's life. I don't think we can, we can 
I don't think we're speculating <laughs> to say that, uh, given given what happened in the game. So anyway, this this the, the the first touchdown of Robinson set off an exchange of scores that that seemed to go on forever, and and it it started, of course, with Seattle uh, coming up with ten unanswered points uh, to go up. Let's see, twenty-seven to ten, and then we kept we kept with more back and forth action of of, of that type till thirty-four seventeen, mm-hmm. and with a little bit. Sorry, uh, we were still at twenty-seven to ten. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let me get to the right place here. Make sure we're talking about it. I, okay, I'm in the third quarter. That's my problem here. Yeah. Uh, so so it's uh, it was. Let's see. It was. It had to be forty-one to twenty-four. At the when, time of the read punt block. Yeah, when, when everything went haywire. But I, I want to jump back to talking about the uh, Marcus Robinson. After the, uh, the the Seahawks had that field goal to push the 27 to 10, then um, it, uh, Wright hit uh, Robinson with a little – it was like a little – almost like a little slant or like a little hitch Mm -hmm. and he ran right into that wasn't Marcus Trufant it was um oh gosh Ken Lucas I think I'm pretty sure it was Ken Lucas and if you remember he went back like a like he got knocked out you could tell just by the way his body language Robinson bounced off him and took it to the house and ended up being a you know like a 50-yard touchdown but it was a short pass and just uh Unfortunate yep. occurrence for the uh, Seattle uh, defensive back there. Yeah, I think there might have been even two defensive backs. It's one of these strange plays where two defenders comes up, come up and try and hit a receiver at the same time. Yeah, was in my it, recollection, both dropped off and the receiver is still standing. And you see that every once in a while. It's just really weird. Yeah, and and just to see then, and you realize how big Robinson was. Because I mean, he was was six four, mm-hmm. probably two thirty probably playing at two, like two and a quarter, two thirty, And he just leveled the DB and, and then turned and took it to the house and you feel that momentum. And then the very next series, 80 yard touchdown <laughs> to Daryl Jackson. And it was like, and for Ravens fans, I mean, this year to put it in con, you know, to put it in context of what's going on now, we've seen some big plays kind of go sideways and we're in this passing league in 2003, we, you know, you were starting to see offenses evolve a little bit more, but you still had teams that were a lot of teams. Even the Seahawks, who would throw the ball around, had a bell cow in Sean Alexander that they would ha- turn and hand the ball to 25 times a game. Right. That, that's not what you see in today's NFL. But in 2003, that was still the way teams operated. So to see, and especially for the Ravens, to see them give up touchdown, long touchdown after long touchdown, that was just not something that was in the – you know, in the game plan, so to speak, in, in those, uh, you know, those early Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. You know, I mean, the Ravens had a very fine defensive backfield. It's not something you, you expected the Ravens to do regularly, certainly. Uh, well, let's let's start. Let's start the money plays, because yeah, you know, we mentioned in the in the production meeting that there were there were a lot of things that had to go right for the Baltimore Ravens down the stretch in this game to get it tied. A lot of really strange things had to happen. But with with 656 to go uh, on fourth and eight, Seattle set up to punt and they'd already had some weird things happen. They punted a ball. Uh, that went directly off uh, the head of the receiver, I believe, and was recovered by the long snapper. Mm-hmm. So, and and they couldn't turn that around because they fumbled the ball right right back immediately. By Jamal Lewis fumbled it around. They're really mm-hmm. wondering, you know, do you need to take Jamal Lewis out of the game? Yeah, but, 
but uh, but with with six fifty six to go, Ed Reed picked up what I believe is the last career block. Yeah, uh, that, that he fourth. had fourth out and yeah. third one return for a touchdown. Uh, it was a thing of beauty, and like they all were. And uh, he, he, he picked it up right away. And in fact, he almost was taunting the defender by running closer to him as he ran into the end zone, and almost saying, you yeah. can't quite get me here. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, there was, it's hard to, you can't overstate how fantastic of a football player Ed Reed was. Not just a defensive back, not just a safety, but a football player. You feel like that if the Ravens would have needed him to play wide receiver, that he would have been playing at a Pro Bowl level within a couple of games as a wide receiver. Yep. He just his instincts and just it was just such a pleasure to be able to watch his entire career. And, and you know, and anybody that that didn't get to watch Ed Reed play, go go put Ed Reed's name into YouTube and watch some of his highlights. It's just right. it's remarkable. One one thing Bill Belichick said is he he would have never taken him off the punt team. He would have kept him on forever. He just understood the mechanics of the center and whatnot, and, and mm-hmm. he knew how to get off a, uh, and, and get in there for a block. And, and, you know, they took him off the punt team. He was too valuable as a starting safety, of course, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting that they, that they made that choice. And when you're appreciating what plays players are making, everyone could be the last. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, enjoy it for what it is and don't expect four more of them, you know, when he's up right. to four career blocks just in two years. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to continue on with a little bit of the story here. So, so the Seahawks got the ball back, and the Ravens, you know, now down ten, thought you know they really have a chance with uh, six thirty six to go. Uh, Seattle had a first and ten play at the Baltimore forty four, and what happened on that? Alexander ran for minus two yards. Good play by Thomas, but he face masked him on the play, mm-hmm. and uh, Alexander that was Lewis. I can still remember him going up behind. Thomas and just kind of patting him on the head. It wasn't a, you know, you did a stupid thing necessarily. There's accountability always with Ray, but it was a, I gotcha almost. And on the very next play, of course, one of the, one of the many circumstances, you know, along with the Reed thing, uh, Max Strong, their fullback took a ball right up the middle on first and 10. They're just trying to run out the clock at this point. Ray Lewis literally stood him up and pried the football from his hands. You rarely see tackling the football work. Mm-hmm. This is a case where it did. And um, and not the only time Ray Lewis has done that, If uh, and uh, not to dovetail from this game, but when you think about Ray Lewis and making plays at the right time, he did that to the Buffalo Bills in 2010 in that game that we got behind early. Yep. It was a similar game to this, and we had to have that comeback and then ended up winning it in overtime where they stood up they're running back, but the offensive lineman tried to push him forward. So forward progress wasn't called and he was able to strip the ball. I, I don't know if that was in, I think that was in overtime in that, in that Buffalo game. Uh, or, I mean, or it, was I mean, a, it was a, it was a short yardage play in overtime, but we weren't near the goal line. Yeah, it was a critical point, you know, yeah. in the game nonetheless, but yeah, for that to be able to happen, I mean, and this isn't your, you know, your modern day, uh, you know, Marlon Humphrey punch out like this was uh mano mano and Ray just stole the football. Yeah. <laughs> was, Tremendous yeah. strength. And I mean, if you understand like fullbacks, especially, are used to making dive plays all the time. They cover the ball with two hands. They're, they're very effective at not letting, holding the ball high and tight, doing the things they need to do to hold on to the football. And, and Ray amazingly just pried that football loose is, uh, is one of the things. Had to have trust in the other guys on defense and also had to have the feeling that there is no other choice at this point. They need the football back. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's that, that whole, the whole adage of, you know, great, great players, you know, that the great players are always great, just great when they have to be. And, you know, then th- that was a moment right there where they absolutely had to have it. And Ray met, went and made the play. All right. The ensuing drive, a lot of very cool things happen. <laughs> okay. So this was a drive. The Ravens took over at four sixteen. They're down 10. They need a, a quick score, maybe an onside kick, or maybe if they score quickly enough, they can keep their timeouts. They still had three when the drive started. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to second and two at the Seattle 39 with 247 to play. Not a terrible position to be in. Still three timeouts. Right. Anthony Wright calls the first after a 16-yard sack, sets him up with third and 18. Mm-hmm. And Continue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go ahead. I thought you have something to say. About oh, then he, then no, he sacked again on the next play mm-hmm. uh, by Okafor for another 10 yards, sets up fourth and 28 with two minutes to go. Fortunately, they had a two minute warning. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really a need to call another timeout because I bet Wright would have called it, mm-hmm. uh, even though, you know, what's what's Bill going to tell him other than he heaved the ball up. Right. One of the things that receivers always do is keep their routes separated. You know, that that's all plays really have separated routes to try and make sure. And this was a straight drop back by Anthony Wright is my recollection. There's no rollout. Uh, he heaved the ball up on, on a fairly quick release far down the left sideline looking for, of course, Marcus Robinson, who'd had the big day. Marcus Robinson went up for the ball with two defenders around him and tipped it. And somehow, Frank Sanders, Mr. 500, <laughs> came over, took the ball out of the air for a 44-yard gain and ran out of bounds. Uh, that, to me, is still one of those plays. First of all, everybody thinks Marcus Robinson caught that ball. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Well, first of all, and everybody in the stadium knew he was going to Marcus Robinson. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Seattle bench knew it. Everybody on the field knew it. And he still got his hand on the ball, which is even re- remarkable in and, in and of itself. I think the the... I know I was just hoping to get a pass interference call there because nobody's got fourth and 28 in the playbook (laughs) and the Ravens especially didn't have fourth and 28 in the playbook. I mean, hell, we didn't really even have third and eight in the playbook back then. Um, So for that, and you know, and this is where you talk about the, so we've already had a punt block recovered by the person who blocked it, who fell down, managed to get up without getting touched and weave his way to the end zone. Then we have a, a, a strip of the football Ray, from, yep. from the fullback. And then we have a fourth and 28 conversion on a deflected pass to, to, to a receiver who probably shouldn't have been in the area. So you've already had a, a series of ludicrous events happen. But at this point, you're still down 10. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I turned to the guy who's next to me in the box and I said, Ralph. And he, Ralph knows who he is out there. Ralph, what do you think the percentage chance is that they'll convert this play, this fourth and 28? And he said, 1%. And I said, uh, give me $50 at 99 to 1. And, and, and it's more like 9% here. 9%. It's not, it's not 1. Come on. You know, nothing yeah. is 1. And, and, and then the play went off. Obviously, we'd shake on everything. But the play, the, the play went off and you know, it goes for 44 yards. I go, you'll be $4,950. Because we didn't make a bet. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we, you're right, Ralph. We didn't make a bet. Right. So anyway, we completed the, the, the fourth and 28 play for 44 yards. They still weren't in the end zone. 
Mm-mm. Okay. But they came down second and nine on the nine yard line. Now there's only a minute and 17 left. And you think about the Ravens timeout situation. It's not going to allow for anything but an onside kick, given they have two timeouts, or sorry, two timeouts left. Right. Okay. So what does Anthony Wright do? Mark Cuckoo-Cachoo. (laughs) And what was was interesting about this was the first down play, they tried tried a fade. And actually, Trufant was able to to get in there and defend it finally. And then they went right back to him. But it was like it was almost like a back shoulder. Or I want to say that it was a that it was a back shoulder. But under to me, fade. I looked because yeah. I, I went back and watched the game the other day because they you know, thank goodness for the Ravens website to throw those great games up on there in their entirety. And it, I remember the pass being bad. But it just looked like a t- poorly thrown ball. It definitely didn't look like it was by design at all, but it worked out. And even Robinson looked a little surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great, great adjustment by Marcus yeah. Robinson on the pass. It was definitely a throw, fade thrown to the back left corner of the end zone. And uh, it just came up about four yards short, which is yeah. usually an interception, except Marcus Robinson wasn't out positioned on the play. He adjusted his body directly around Trufant, made the catch over him, and, and relatively easily. I mean, yeah. Trufant made no play on the football, uh, and that was impressive. Trufant, by the way, that, that year was a rookie, yeah. and he had, he had been in some ads with Ray Lewis during the, on draft day, which is really Ray's reappearance in national advertising, you know, mm-hmm. three years after kind of right. thing. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, it, it seemed to be funny at that point. I'm sure this wasn't funny for him. Uh, no. And I think Trufant was definitely overplaying the, the, the back, you know, the back corner fade there mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that's what allowed Robinson to kind of slip underneath yeah. and, and go ahead and make that catch. Yeah, maneuvered maneuvered right around him pretty easily. Um, I, I think the, the catch that kind of reminds me of is Torrey Smith in the Mile High Miracle game on the end of the first half catch that he makes. It's yep. down the right sideline, and he moved directly in front of Champ Bailey again to pick up the football. And, you know, it's it's very easy for a cornerback to overrun a football when he thinks he knows where it's going. Right. Yeah. And Champ Bailey had already gotten, you know, he had gotten, toasted. Uh, you know, yeah, toasted not only on the touchdown, but then there was, what, two other opportunities that he just missed on where Torrey Smith just ran right by him. So he definitely had to make sure not to let 82 get behind him again. And as a result, yep, absolutely. That was a really good catch. Very, very similar play. Okay, so now we're going to take you through what happened. So, of course, uh, Wally Ritchie, if people remember the kickoff specialist of that time, because Stover was not the guy kicking off for us. The great Wade Ritchie, number nine. Oh, it is Wade, not it Wally, is Wade. Isn't it? Yeah, no, right, very good. You're thinking of Wally Richardson, who played. Yes, uh, yeah, what, what was he? A gar- uh, offensive guard? No, no really. Wally Richardson, a quarterback, right? I, maybe. Wally, oh yeah, Wally. No, that was uh, was Wally Richardson quarterback. Back okay, quarterback? I, I'm I'm checking it now. <laughs> that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, why argue when you have the internet, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. quarterback. Very oh, good. there you Richardson. go. There 1998 go. draftee of the Ravens did play in one game, or it was okay. active for one game. All right. So anyway, uh, Seattle gets the ball with the kickoff with a minute and 12 to go. And Seattle gets the ball uh, with 111 to go. So it only only rolled off a second there as, as, as one to be. The Ravens have two timeouts. Now, a very strange thing happened. First of all, Alexander ran up the middle for six yards. Not a good result for the Ravens to start with. Mm-hmm. Then there was a run right for well, three yards where no timeout was called. Mm-hmm. But... There was some sort of an illegal formation penalty that was called and then picked up. 
And, and I don't know if you remember the details yeah, of this. It was, I can remember it's, I can remember them saying after the game that there was an administrative error because yep. they called the, we called our second time out after the, after the first down run. Mm-hmm. And then, so with one time out in, in the bank, Alexander runs for three yards and I can't remember who it was, but you can see somebody signaling for a timeout, one of the Ravens defenders, but then there was the flag on the play. And then the official came out and said, there is no flag for, uh, I think it was illegal formation. So-and-so reported as eligible, but they didn't wind the clock. Mm-hmm. So then at that point, it was like the Ravens got another timeout. And that then allowed them after the Sean Alexander, no gain on third down to call that third timeout and stop the clock. Okay, we got more to say on this yep. because it, it, after third down, they did call the timeout, of course, and, and right. then they went over to Mike Holm- Holmgren. And Holmgren was obviously very upset, and he was motioning for the clock to be yep. run. In fact, before the third down, the second down play was run, before the second down play was run, uh, Hasselbeck was calling for the, why isn't the clock starting? Why is the clock starting like this? Hmm. Anyway, the, the, it was obviously an error by the officials to, to uh, have that occur. Uh, but the, but the Ravens were the beneficiaries in this case. They would have gotten the ball left with with uh, you know five or ten seconds remaining mm-hmm. potentially had it had it not worked out. So on third and one, the, the Ravens line up very heavy, of course, as you would to try and stop short yardage. Uh, Sean Alexander goes left tackle for no gain. Baxter and Hartwell make the tackle on fourth and one, and this is where it gets really, kind of really cool. They put in a, a nose tackle of some note, Orlando, Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown, yep. <laughs> I remember Zeus lining up on that. Yep. And, and on fourth and one, he actually got the assist on the tackle. Marcus Douglas, who was Mr. Tackle for loss, mm-hmm. uh, stood up uh, Hasselbeck on the quarterback sneak for no gain. Maybe you remember this or maybe you've seen it recently. Cornell Brown went over the top and looks like he puts his elbow right on top of Hasselbeck. And the announcers were saying correctly, yep. I think. That mm-hmm. should have been a personal foul to end the game. Mm-hmm. No dice. Right. <laughs> they were having none of it. In 2021, that absolutely would be a personal foul. You kind of still get away with a little bit of shenanigans in 2003, but not not like that today at all. No doubt about it. And Cornell Brown was one of the really not game aware players of his of that Ravens era. He was one of the guys who would make a lot of mistakes like that. Courtney Upshaw had a lot of uh, personal fouls in his day. You know, maybe Pernell McPhee is 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 the guy now, but but he's he's got a lot of talent he brings to the table as well. Cornell Brown, it was uh, he was he was a defender who who made some mistakes for the Ravens through the years. Sure. So that play it was forty four seconds to go when they stopped him um, and. Let's see about this. That turned the ball over on down, so the Ravens had it with 39. Go ahead. And and one other thing that you have to throw in there, if you want to talk about the series of fortunate events to get us here, mm-hmm. you have a measurement on third down. When if you and if you look at that play, Sean Inches. Alexander, he it certainly looked like at first first look that he got the first down by a decent amount, but his knee was down. So, you know, they spotted the ball, boom, you know, the measurement and then Hasselbeck. And when he did that quarterback sneak, he kind of turned to protect the football and didn't really get any extension on it. And then again, another measurement. So this inexact science of spotting of the football Mm -hmm. and both spots Happened to go the Ravens' way by a matter of, you know, not even inches, more like a, you know, like a quarter of an inch. It was, you know, just a little bit. Yeah, it was remarkable. The, the, you know, one of the things that's happened in modern football, which is complete BS, is the Drew Brees kind of get the ball across the line on a quarterback sneak. So he'll, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll head up, put the ball across the line, then, then turtle to make sure the ball doesn't get taken away. Well, it's, it doesn't, it hasn't become a forward progress play yet at that point. 
No, so you, 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 it's not a first down to, no. to do that. It's only a, only a touchdown on the goal line. That's the only time where the ball crosses the plane. So anyway, it's uh, this was an interesting play, and I think it was certainly called correctly because I think Hasselbeck had turtled up on the football uh, with it behind the line of scrimmage when the forward progress was actually you know stopped and and uh, and he'd um, uh, I think it was correctly called as a as a not not converting that fourth and one, but the Ravens still aren't out of the woods, but they, right. you can add to their total with the third and one stop, the fourth and one stop, the timeout mistake by the, by the officials. We're really piling up a lot of plays, right? That went in their favor. <laughs> it's, and, and again, it's like when you, and what made me really think about this was what the Ravens just experienced a couple of weeks ago and the, the frantic comeback against the Colts, you know, you have the, you, you have a blocked field goal. So big mm-hmm. special teams play for, and then you have the, the luck for the Ravens that the Colts kicker hurts himself in pregame warmups and is iffy at best. So you have to have these series of events and things sure. that go your way to fuel his comeback. It's very hard to just line up straight ahead and come back like this. So. It, it had that feel. And, and I thought of the 2003 game when we when were watching the game on Monday night, of course. And I, I the, the thing that was different about it is the Colts in four, sorry, the Ravens in four drives against the Colts never went to third down, never mm. once. Nice. So the only two plays where they're, where they're, where they're the three plays that were really, we got to have these or we lose the game were the, uh, the Campbell block field goal and the two, two point conversions. Right. But the, but the otherwise they never even got to their next to last chance because they never got to third down and they would have had fourth down. So they never got to their next to last chance on any other play. I like to tell that. Yeah, right. And the big difference, of course, with the 2021 Ravens is there is offensive efficiency, at least throwing the ball. Whereas, you know, in in, in 2003, that was uh, uh, non-existent, as it were. There, there you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now there's 39 seconds remaining. And I, I remember thinking, OK, we're going to see something magical happen here. And Anthony Wright drops back. Who does he put the ball up for, of course? Mm-hmm. Mr. Robinson. Marcus Robinson again. First pass goes incomplete. The second and 10 play with 33 seconds remain thrown deep down the middle. An unusual pass interference call. Now uh, it was, it went for 44 yards again. Mm-hmm. So in addition to Robinson's incredible day receiving, he's got a 44 yard tipped completion to Sanders, which isn't on his ledger, a 44 yard DPI, mm-hmm. which isn't on his ledger. Right. Or, or is depending on how, you, what ledger you're keeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, it was, Ken Lucas was called for defensive holding on the play. I was worried it was going to be offsetting penalties. I don't right. remember seeing the two flags on the play. Absolutely. Because yeah, anytime that happens and when, and then when the referee went to holding, I was like, Oh no, on the defense. You're like, yeah, that's going to be, but even the mechanics of that pass interference, that was a call. I feel like that was definitely a 50, 50 kind of call. Like it was depending on the crew, I think they would look at that and say, well, guys were both playing a football. It was an underthrown ball. Yeah. It happens. So I, I like, let's put it this way. If that would have been Gene Steratore's crew, that flag wouldn't have gotten thrown. I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent certain about that, but it is an unusual time to throw a flag. Usually the officials eat the flag at this point in the game. Mm-hmm. It was a cutoff. It was called for a cutoff play. Now you never hear that word used in terms of DPI. Sometimes they'll say it, but mm-hmm. they don't really ever, uh, some, uh, sorry, sometimes they may call it, but they never say it. 
You know, mm-hmm. we had a, a defensive pass interference, a cutoff on number 23, and that was Trufant again, uh, who, who basically, I think, said, I'm not going to let Marcus Robinson get to this football. Right. So, uh, you know, he could have gone after the football, but then Marcus Robinson could have gone after the football over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he, he probably took the path of least resistance. It just turned out to, 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 that the, the Ravens got the call on this day. That set the Ravens up at the 23-yard line with 25 seconds to go. Now, 18 yards added to that. You're thinking a 41-yard field goal for a Stover. We were not as comfortable with Stover at that distance in that era. We think of Tucker as being pretty much an automatic from about 50. Not Maybe not quite an automatic at 55, but pretty much an automatic at 50. We didn't think of Matt Stover as being an automatic at 41. Now, Stover, his, probably the max of his range as he had gotten to this, at this point in his career, was probably... 45 that you were comfortable mm-hmm. at. I mean, he had a couple instances where he he went a little bit bigger. Like he got he got a couple of 50 yarders when there was some wind, you know, if the wind was fortuitous. I think in that uh that Jets game in 04, I feel like he hit a um that, that one that the NFL network did the whole yes. special on. The, sure. the, that was the bowler to Clarence Morgan. Um yeah, if we ever did the Clarence Moore podcast there, we just did it. It's over. Uh, um, that, that, that would be fun to do, by the way, Jamie. We ought to, yeah. we to try and line that up. Yeah. The um um but yeah, Stover, he was, you know, they he was money mat from about 40 and in, you know, and this was an era where, you know, again, we're looking at it through today's lens where guys make 50 yards with regularity. That wasn't going on, you know, in 2003. It was, you know, you needed to get where you needed to get. And after so after the play to Robinson, then you know, we give it to Jamal up the middle, but they're out of timeouts. And if you notice on that play, a couple of Seahawks do that. We're just going to lay on Jamal Lewis. Right. And the officials actually got in and peeled a Seahawks defender off of Jamal so they could get up and get the spike in. Could easily have got them for delay a game on right. that. Uh, they, they, they didn't call it there, but they did get the, the spike off. And interestingly <laughs> enough, mm-hmm. there was an illegal formation flag, which went up. So, the, this is this is a very strange situation, but Terry Jones, the Ravens' tight end, was turned towards the center, and rather than move, which he was afraid to do since the clock was about to run out, he stood still and on the line of scrimmage. Well, that was that's not permitted. You have to mm-hmm. you have to be on the line of scrimmage uh, with with I guess with at least one foot going forward. It's otherwise you'd be. I don't know why it's illegal, but they said it was illegal. Let's put it yeah. that way at the time. And but they did make the call after the spike stopped the clock. I I don't really understand the mechanics of why there would not perhaps have been a runoff for that. But no runoff was ruled, uh, even though we're in the last minute of the game and, and there's an offensive foul here. Yeah, they said something on the telecast of um, whoever was doing that on Fo- whoever the color uh, yeah. commentator was on Fox. But he I didn't even really understand it. And I actually went back and listened to it a couple of times and I wasn't really following what the logic was. But he must have gotten something in his ear from the production truck to say, oh, well, that's not a runoff because of the way that that is administered. But I, I guess because the penalty didn't stop play and because it's in a legal formation, the play still goes off. So the result of the play stopped the clock, not the penalty. Okay. And so, I, and that's so they, kind they of the way have, I understood it. They, they could have, and they did take the five yard penalty to move them back to the 21 yard line. So it's set up for what should have been a 39 yard field goal. It looks like they might've set up a yard deep here and kicked it from 40. Mm-hmm. And Stover split the uprights, or at least he he made it, right. <laughs> and and that sent the game to overtime at forty one. So we've had 
uh, about a season and a half of football so far in a, in a very, very exciting game. And we still have a possession for each team left in overtime. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I'm thinking you win the toss, you win the game. Oh, absolutely. And this is the day and age of the sudden death overtime. You know, it was and they had actually flashed up um, at that point in the year. There had been 16 overtime games and the home teams were only were six and ten mm-hmm. to that point in the season. But and then there was something about the but the coin toss winner had had won a decent amount of the games, which, again, is what you would anticipate. Yeah. You know, particularly you get the ball to the, you know, say, what was the average kickoff return then? You know, about 25, 26 yards. You get the ball around there. You're talking about three first downs, and then you realistically have a chance to take a kick at it. Now, what was interesting, too, at this point, after Stover's field goal goes through, the view from the stands, you could see – fans that had left the game that were over in the Staples parking lot <laughs> flooding back to the stadium to, to an attempt to get back in, which of course was, you know, to no avail. I'd probably say that, that roughly 20 to 25,000 people probably left, I think is a pretty safe yeah, I, estimate. I, I, yeah. I always said this, the, the, the stands were half empty, but the noise was at the, at the full level. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was what was great about that game. It's just people were making unbelievable an amount of noise that were remaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about some of, the, some of the after effects of this game when we, when, when we close out here. But Seattle got the ball first. They, won, they win the toss. You know, one of the problems with getting a good return and getting an easy return is that they kicked off from the 30 in this era. Mm. So they did have the old rules. There were more holding and other flags. There was less touchbacks. So, they, you know, you kind of the 20 was a bad result mm-hmm. for, for, for getting it. So, you know, 25, 26, 27 yard line. Of course, when you're driving from there and you've got a, you've got a, a quarterback who's thrown five touchdown passes and no interceptions, you figure it's a pretty good chance they're going to be able to at least drive for a field goal. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely was uh, was nerve wracking to to be putting the ball in there in in Seattle's hands with the way they they had moved the ball through the air all day and guys wide open at times. If not like they were like putting drives together. I mean, it was big play after big play. Yeah, very very much so. And this first drive is very memorable to me. So the Ravens, first of all, Gary Boxster knocked down a pass intended for Jackson, but on the on the second play of that drive, um, Hasselbeck threw a ball in the middle of the field, went for 18 yards, but he was also injured on the play. Uh, so, so incredibly who runs into the game for Seattle, but Trent Dilfer, (laughs) oh my God, what a karmic misery this could be. I mean, it was just the, the reaction when he, when he ran out on the field, I was, uh, I was with my, uh, my buddy Tony at the game and I looked over at him and I said, you have got to be kidding me right now. (laughs) Trent Dilfer is going to drive a stake into our heart. This is not happening. (laughs) And it was, yeah. Because it seemed like karmic retribution. Like you said, it was just, uh, you know, it was going to be a serendipitous moment for Trent Dilfer, you know, get back at the organization for not having faith in him, et cetera, et cetera. But <laughs> all of that's possible. Dilfer's been a class act with the kids. He's always, you know, obviously had a kind of a grudge and a chip on his shoulder about being released after that 2000 season. But uh, but he's always in, in terms of autograph shows. I've seen him. I'm just always taking his ring off, putting it on a kid's finger for a for a oh, photo okay. and whatnot. Just very cool guy in, mm-hmm. in general. So he, he gets in there. His, he does throw a pass on his on his first play. That's incomplete. Sets up second and ten. Now you've watched this game more recently than me. I don't have the memory of whether Hasselbeck came back on second and ten or on third and ten. He came back on third and ten. 
Okay. As he and Dilford did a quick handoff, and then they. Okay, so another they, they another handoff to the fullback strong. He goes for no gain. Third and ten comes up. Hasselbeck's back in the game. My heart dropped when he when he came back in. I said, "Oh crap, they're going to convert mm-hmm. this." You know, we're going to get out of jail here and 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 it's going to be a problem. Like Matt Hasselbeck is the greatest fear of any Ravens fan. But right. for this day, he was. Yeah. And, and uh, Hasselbeck uh, dropped back to pass. There was an extended play. Obviously, didn't have the read he wanted. And Peter Bulware, with an enormous year that year, uh, came in and made a 15-yard sack to uh, uh, force the punt. And lest we forget, Peter Bowyer was basically playing with one arm <laughs> throughout the back backside of his career. He got that shoulder injury in the 2000 season, and it really would crop up pretty much for the remainder of his career and and limit what he was able to do and just basically make him a you know a a limited down you know pass rush only kind of backer when he was a little bit more of a complete player when he was younger. Yeah, he, he, he stepped in in 01 to lead the AFC in sacks, including four in that playoff clinching game on Monday night against the Vikings. Mm-hmm. But he led the AFC in sacks in 01. And then 02, he did play, but he only had seven sacks. 03, he had another eight and a half. And that's pretty much the end of his productivity. He's missed all of 04, came back in 05, had two and a half sacks in 15 games. But basically, just about this sack was just about the end of his productivity for his career as a, as a pass rusher. Yeah. He's one of those guys that has an interesting place in Ravens history because he was a part of the, you know, well, the greatest defensive franchise history, arguably the greatest defense of all time. So I think he'll, he'll be fondly remembered around here, but his, his, uh, I guess you could say his flame burned bright, but it burned out very quick. <laughs> yeah. Nice, uh, real nice guy. I've met him and personally asked him about the offsides penalty in the Monday night football game at Tennessee. Oh. And he said, oh, yeah, no, they, but it turned out okay. Well, <laughs> it, you know, it, was, like, it was great, actually. Oh, so, my God. That, yeah. that was another unbelievable one. <laughs> yeah. Was, all, all of these games have to be done. But this one we're going to give the give the star treatment to because it deserves it. So after the 15-yard Hasselbeck sack, Ruin punts at 50 yards. Lamont Brightful only a one-yard return on the play. So 49 net. The Ravens start at their own 21-yard line on what would be – Am I going to spoil it right now? Yes. The game, the game, the drive. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, they had a run by run by right to set it up and then a run by Lewis. They're already out to the, out to the 43 yard line, uh, for first and 10, but they went to third and two, uh, and Lewis was able to convert that on a run. So that was, that was good. Then they went to third and 15 at the 49 yard line. This is really the key play of the drive. And who would Anthony Wright throw to if he had a choice here? Um, yes. Marcus Robinson. There you <laughs> and, go. And I can remember, and this is one of those things that I can see in my mind's eye to this day yep. because of where, where we were sitting. I was, it was in section 512, so the play was coming towards us. But I could see the way Seattle's defense was, and Robinson just ran just a, a – seven route just just in cut and it was like exactly right there was nobody around him and it was remarkable the way it opened up and i'm like oh my god he's got robinson and just it was an easy pitch and catch and when you're third and 15 and you know if you stop them how does it happen right it's just remarkable and for the guy that the guy that caught four touchdown passes you let him do that it's not like you're selling out to stop the run there it's third and 15 
<laughs> like it's it was, remarkable. You, you got to defend the sticks better, obviously, than they did. But it was a 19-yard catch on third and 15. I don't remember the yards after the catch on that play, but I think he was like just beyond the sticks or just at the sticks where he caught the ball. Yeah, it, it ended up being it was a 19-yard gain. He didn't get. He might have like kind of leaned forward for a couple more yards, but yeah, he was just beyond the sticks. It was almost right, and it was um, it was just right smack in the middle of the field, like right uh, pretty much between the hash marks. Like it was just a it was a thing of beauty. <laughs> At, at, uh, took him to the 32 from the Baltimore 49. Uh, three runs by Lewis later. They got eight yards. They're at the 24-yard line. And Matt Stover comes in to kick a 42-yard field goal win the game. Uh, still incredible, all the things that happened happened. So you add the third and 15. You add the, you add the, the, the kick itself to win the game. You add the, the sack of Hasselbeck. You add the injury to Hasselbeck, I think. Uh, to, to to have them give a chance. I mean, just even in overtime, there's like four plays they had to have. And and the amount of penalties that the Ravens committed and that they were able to overcome in this game. I mean, I think it was, I don't have it right in front of me. It was well over double digits. I think it was 14 penalties on the day. Yeah, I can get that for you, but it, it was but, bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, even on this, even on that final drive, you know, they they, they had to deal with a, uh, they had to deal with a, uh, a couple penalties, I believe, you know, to push, you know, that pushed them back and got them in that position. But, 14 you know, for 112. Okay, yeah, I, I, I knew it was pretty brutal. And, you know, you still see Stover. Remember how Stover got into that little funky stance in his setup? You know, it was almost Wound like up. he was he was trying to, yeah, uncork all of his power to push that 42-yarder through. And to see and that reaction, to remember what that was like, and then to watch that game back and to see the folks that are behind the, the upright, just behind the band, the – pure unadulterated joy to witness that and to see your favorite team come back in the fashion that they did and to just kind of revel in that. It's one of those, like, that's why we watch sports and that's why we're fans because then you're best friends with a stranger next to you for the next 10 or 15 minutes because yep. he loves the Ravens too, you know, and that, that sense of community and everything, it, it happened in that moment. And it was just, it was so fun to do that and then to kind of relive that and watching it and then talking about it like i mean i'm grinning from ear to ear right now because it was yeah. it was that much fun it's, you know? it's one of those moments it just builds you up energy wise talking to talk about it it reminds me a lot of the minnesota snow game in the respect that you're just talking about because that game had all these touchdowns all this back and forth joy and failure and joy and you know thrill of victory, agony of defeat, uh, you know, in those last couple of minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for the last two minutes and 30 seconds, there were five touchdowns. And and that was a lot of the same thing. You got to know the people next to you and you're high-fiving them like crazy. And and, and then you're, the next minute, you're, oh, crap, how are we going to get out of this? Right. And uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful moment. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny when you say the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. I think that um, my generation is the last ones that will actually remember the beginning of the wide world of sports on ABC, (laughs) where that all stemmed from. (laughs) Like, that's one of those things that might be lost to time. I think that uh, more people should see that uh, guy careening down the uh, ski jump to know what the agony of defeat is. Yeah, that's uh, you know they, they they have that for for certain other things for poker and whatnot, but it's uh, it's uh, kind of funny. You know, nobody wants to be the agony of defeat uh, meme for a, for the World Series of Poker tournament. Right, <laughs> so, right. exactly. <laughs> and, anyway, uh, yeah. we'll continue on. We we left the stadium, and this was one of the really cool things. I've never felt the energy level higher outside the stadium. So normally, you leave a stadium, everybody's worried about okay, where's my car? I'm going to run and get ahead of people, and I'm going to I'm going to get out of the garage first, and you know you come along with the stuff and I'll meet you out, you know, at this point, 
that wasn't the case. If you walk out of the stadium, there's all these people and everybody is high-fiving each other outside the stadium. The energy level had not dropped, you know, whatever thing that we got <laughs> that high from watching that game was still there in the 10 or 12 minutes after the game. Yeah, probably the clo- I think the, the closest that I can relate to that feeling was after the divisional win over the Texans in 2011. Okay. There was a palpable buzz because it was like, you know, like we're going to go up to New England most likely and we're, 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 we're going to a Super Bowl. We're, we're good enough to do it. Like there was that that feeling, but it wasn't. But that was more of a confidence, whereas this was just a I I can't believe what I just saw. And I was a part of it. And this was one of the most it was one of the most amazing spectacles I've ever seen, because, again, the ludicrousness, if that's a word, of all the things that had to happen. We didn't even touch earlier. Earlier in the game, Travis Taylor made that unbelievable one handed catch. I don't know if you recall, Ken, but he was falling backwards, caught it with one hand, brought it in, got up and ended up running. It ended up being like a like I think a 40 some odd yard catch and run. And that led then, to a field goal, probably. <laughs> well, uh, I think so. And then he ends up dropping a ball that hits him in the bread basket, uh, like a, a, a quarter later. Like that is the Travis Taylor story in Baltimore, in a nutshell. Yeah, we couldn't we catch a ball that hit him right in the hands, but he he made a, a highlight real catch that that a lot almost no receiver would have made. I can't imagine what the probability would have been on that play, but. You know. Yeah, AWS, we'd know today, right, with next gen. Yeah. Robinson had seven for 131 in the game. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many total targets he had, but it was a lot. He might have had 13, 14, 15 targets. I'd have to mm. go back and, and, and look at the individual plays, but they don't total yeah. them up in the game book from that era. Right, right. Uh, but he also had the 44-yard pass interference penalty. He had the 44-yard tip to Sanders, which ended up being two-thirds exactly of Sanders' yardage for the game at 66. Uh, just a, a remarkable remarkable game all the way around uh, is there anything else in the aftermath of this because obviously the Ravens went on and this was the first of a three-game streak where they destroyed opponents so well, they had three consecutive home wins mm-hmm. Seattle 44-41 then they beat San Francisco 44-6 to the next week mm-hmm. and then they beat the Bengals who were the, the competition for the division that year Thirty-one to thirteen, and they really stuck it to the Bengals really hard that day. Yeah, because that was because that was what Marvin Lewis's first year as head coach, if I'm not mistaken, and they, you know, they they looked like they were starting to turn things around, and they would eventually get the best of us, you know, um, as if we uh, recall one of the sad times in '04 when uh, we blew what was that the seventeen to three lead in the fourth quarter I think, or whatever twenty one three yeah yeah twenty to three lead, and, and that ended up knocking that whole season off the rails because I think that was what the first Ravens team that had ever been seven and two. Or seven and three, I think that was the best start they'd ever had. Um, but yeah, it um, it really served because you were sitting at five hundred. It really served as a springboard to to finish the season, finish the season at five and one, and end up winning the division and get a home playoff game. Mm-hmm. It even though it kind of ended up being a little bit of fool's gold with Anthony Wright, it was such an unusual occurrence to see a three hundred yard passing game. We hadn't seen any consistently since the the Vinny Testaverde era, if you will, and we always knew in that in in that time frame he was going to be good for an interception at the wrong time, or the defense was probably going to blow it anyway. We're gonna we were going to lose forty four to forty one. So 
and then with this game backing up with the San Francisco game is like, man, is Anthony Wright like a diamond in the rough? Like if we found something here, but again, turned out to be a little bit of fool's gold as it were. Well, he, he played well in 03. He got another chance as the backup in 05. He did not play well, but, uh, mm. but anyway, it was a, uh, uh, it was a nice opportunity. He, he, basically drove the Ravens to a, to a playoff run and they kind of uh, gagged it up themselves, frankly, in the, in the postseason with some, with some mostly bad offensive play against the Tennessee Titans at home. Yeah. And a little, and I can, and I, I remember in that game, there was one specifically where Marcus Douglas got called for a defensive holding during a running play that mm-hmm. really helped, uh, that really helped the Titans out. And then of course there was the, uh, Brown, Orlando play. Brown play. Yeah. That, uh, that set up the uh, the field goal there, but it was um because it, it was a it was one of those seasons where yeah it was just one of those seasons where it it, it was really all about Jamal Lewis with the exception of a few uh, a few moments with Anthony right here and it was it was this game was just a lot of fun and very memorable. All right, I absolutely loved having the opportunity to talk to you about this, Jamie. Anytime you want to talk about a, a Ravens win, I think people enjoy these kind of podcasts because they realize, you know, this is this is one of the real high points. And this is a game. I mean, we spent fifty six minutes on this, and I, I, you know, I normally want to have twenty minutes mm-hmm. on these uh, twenty five year pods, but this is worth it. This is so worth it in terms of what happened in this game. It needed that explanation, that context, in, in my opinion, to really do it justice. And. I, you know, I, I feel sorry for the fans that weren't around 18 years ago. Maybe you're 20 now or you're or you're 22 and, and you, you kind of miss this era of Ravens football. Find it if you can. It was really cool. It has great plays from Ed, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. It has the Ravens defense doing their thing, even though it's a 44 to 41 game at times. Uh, and, and it has all kinds of special Ravens memories for your father's Ravens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes you realize how fast Lamar Jackson is when you see Lamar, when you see Anthony Wright turn the corner a couple of times in this game, he can't get to the edge like number eight can. So it gives you even more of an appreciation for him if you don't have it already. Very, very good. I mean, I've, I've often commented that Steve, Steve Young handles like a shopping cart relative to Lamar Jackson. So you really watch the two. You get a, you get a about right. Uh, Jamie, thanks for joining me on this one. Really appreciate it. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you. Uh, well, we uh, um, at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. We got the uh, uh, message board. Of course, there's not just Ravens, but uh, Orioles, Terps, and even if you get into anything soccer or want to talk about your favorite book, we we got a little bit of everything there, and um, got a great writing team. There's uh, uh, a new guy joined the team that was from uh, Pro Football Focus, so he breaks things down from uh, from that perspective, and it's a uh, lot, lot of good articles. Um, his, his name is is Missouri, but I can't pronounce. His last okay. name, uh, and I apologize if you're listening, but he's doing some great analytical stuff, and and uh, the game threads are always a lot of fun. So uh, it's it's a good site. Come check it out again. It's uh, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. All right, great stuff. And if if you're listening to this one and you want to talk about your favorite Ravens game, I, I promise you, as excited a conversation. Okay, I probably can't make that promise, but I'll promise you an excited conversation if uh, if you'd like to come on and and talk about that. Uh, Send me a couple of bullets, whatever topic you'd like. Keep player, compare and contrast, trends in Ravens history, anything you want to talk about that's a specific niche that we can talk about in about 20 to 30 minutes would be terrific. Jamie, thanks again for coming on. Uh, thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. It was a good time. We'll talk to you next time on right. Film Study.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.